Damn. All right, let's get to it. Yo, welcome back to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, <laughs> where we are singing the praises and digging deep into the Revelation Records. What do you prefer? Discography, catalog, or canon? I think all three of those words are interchangeable when you're talking about this, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I use catalog. Say, I like catalog. Yeah. Can- canon sounds... Very like, like straight edge band from 1994. Yeah, yeah, or like some Star Wars uh, <laughs> mythology. Um, Fair. But I think the canon also sounds very like official. Discography sounds like a little bit too linear. So catalog maybe is uh, is good. But anyway, yeah, Jason, do Yo. you want to tell them what we're discussing on this episode? Oh, this week is. Part two. This time. Uh, well, you got to forget this time. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> we, this week. I mean, granted, oh, this is a thank week. Thank you. <laughs> it is a week later. Okay, okay fine. Yeah, I'm out of time. But this time, we were discussing the Burn self-titled 7-inch Revelation number 22. You know, I, would, I was going to ask them, and I forgot if they had ever thought of naming this 7-inch, because 7-inches get named oh, yeah. all the time. And so I was Damn, like, hey, I, yeah, uh, n- I have some shinfo about an upcoming release that might, may or may not have an actual name instead of being called self-titled, and I'm going to save it. Ooh, okay. I, just, I just dropped a big, a big bomb there. But it, <laughs> If we were typing in emojis, you'd be typing those two eyeballs looking to the side right yeah. now. <laughs> so, yeah, the last episode we talked to Chaka about the burn seven inch and this time we got to talk to alan cage and gavin van vlack so the more of the musical side of the seven inch and i do have to put up a little bit of a disclaimer before we get too deep into this the the audio might be a little bit choppy the um you know the country at the time of this uh airing is Balls deep in some really fucking weird weather yeah. all over. Everywhere except for me, actually, because it's like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, it sucks. I literally like, was shoveling for two hours. Shoveling. Yeah, it's I'm like, looking at icicles. It's like, yeah, 65 on the power de- lines. it's like 65 degrees here, guys. And Fuck the worst, you. The worst thing that I had to deal with was like, it's a little bit windy here. So my allergies were acting up a little bit, but... Um, and I had to put a hoodie on to go work in the office today. Damn. But other than that, like it's Dude, sunny. And, and me and my wife were out there shoveling snow on my day off. Yeah. And usually, God bless her, she's the one usually doing it because I'm working all those long hours. So pitipo to Becca. Yeah. And um, uh, our thoughts go out to anyone in Texas. Yes. Uh, especially Balaram Shakti Das, who was on our last episode and lives in the middle of Texas and is making some creative use out of it by doing some snow yoga some snow okay. well some when he snow-ga. has power he lost he lost power yeah, right uh, now Jesus like javier man. said i mean and and gavin and alan are both on the east coast as jason and i are uh-huh. and been hit with snow so wi-fi and reception and things like that are, are spotty so there's definitely places where it gets choppy but i believe the entire like sentiment of everything 
stays yeah, intact. It, it, um, you, know, you can you can understand what they're trying to say, and so yeah, uh, I just wanted to put that out there. If it does sound like a little bit choppy compared to some of the audio quality of our other episodes, I'm just going to blame um, climate change yeah. for that. So. I think before we get into the interview, though, we might need to. So last time we mentioned we were talking about like hardcore related podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, giving some praises to some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. And we realized we had forgotten a couple. Yeah. And it's easy to because there's it's like with bands, man, there's so many. You're like, oh, I love this band and I love this band and this record. And then. A couple of hours later, you're like, oh, fuck, I, I didn't talk about yeah. this. So, yeah. you know, we we gave a, a bit of bow to Nickel City, um, Axe to Grind, Form of Passion, 185 Miles South. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to throw in their Demo Listen uh, with uh, the homie Greg Gordon. And the premise of that podcast is they review demos that are sent to them. So you actually submit a record or a demo and then they dissect it online and it's not always pretty but it's always honest and cool so that's cool and then hard times podcast yeah Yeah. and uh jason you had a couple you wanted to mention as well right yeah a hundred words or less Mm -hmm. uh they interviewed pete appleby from renee hartfelt i've known ray man i've known ray harkins Ray Hartfelt (laughs) for so long and he's been doing that podcast for a really long time yeah I've been listening to it for a while um yeah lots of there's lots of cool back episodes on that um Mm -hmm. not really a hardcore podcast but hardcore adjacent is my dude Finn McKenty's podcast the punk rock NBA and I listened to a couple of those yeah and he he really ta- he talks about business a lot. He's got a, actually a couple of channels. Um, he's got you know he's got YouTube. His wife now has a YouTube, which is actually pretty interesting and fun. Lynn McKenty, not to be confused with Finn McKenty. So okay. bit up bow to them. And also, uh, not a podcast, but the New Morality Zine. We wanted yes. to give a bit up bow, and I think that those people that do that zine will be very interested in last episode and this episode because it's the new morality yeah you should go and pick I up have, the shirt um, that they did mm-hmm. i have uh i wanted to mention when i forgot i know i mentioned before when i i had an episode but spinning out my mm-hmm. buddy uh josh robbins uh he does a podcast he's had norman on there uh from texas is a reason he had uh Sean from uh, 6131. Mm-hmm. And that's a really fun podcast where you just talk about one album. We gave a, a shout to End on End last time. I wanted to give another shout because I realized I got something wrong. Um, and I had mentioned that uh, our our buddy Ben Merlis, Bit at Bo Ben, uh, interviewed ian mckay and got those like one word answers do you remember that we were talking yeah, about already that. interview and ben reminded me that was not him it was uh tom mullen uh who does another great podcast that i'll shout out washed up emo yeah um mm-hmm. which i've listened to a bunch of those they're really good and i have the books he was the one that said when he first interviewed ian mckay he got like these one word answers until he finally like kind of cracked Warmed the code. Up. So, 
Yeah. A yeah. uh, bit of bow end on end. I think their new one this week is on uh, the debut album by one of my favorites, Soul Side. So check that out. I've never, I've never heard it. Mm. I'm, on, I'm done. On purpose. Done. Good night. <laughs> I, hey, just, I got I'm, one more. Yes. I've been watching uh, The Age of Quarantine with uh-huh. Chris Enriquez, who is actually yes. a uh, member at Gavin's uh, gym. Member at Gavin's gym, Rev yeah. alumni mm-hmm. on the Might of Princes. And I, uh-huh. I enjoyed his interview with Alex Pareto quite a bit. Yeah, mm. that was uh, the dude. Who? What, what was his name? Uh, he was in World's Fastest Car. Um, oh, yeah. it was. So it was still underneath the um, St. Vitus Bar Instagram, but it was already. Yes. And Al Payne is always a great conversation. Yes. yes. Of course. Yeah, so. Um, and um, the, we're not affiliated with it, and I doubt they would ever hear our podcast, but this podcast was heavily influenced by You Don't Know Mojack podcast. And I just listened to the episode with the Bad Brains live record. Yeah. So good. Yo, that, that episode was so good. It was, Daryl Jennifer said it was like one of the only podcast interviews he's ever done, maybe even the mm-hmm. first one. And the super sleuthing, that they do because that Bad Brains record was pulled from five performances and they went and analyzed set lists, uh, tour dates, other live photos. recordings. Yeah, Naomi and, Peterson photos. And, and, and they, they put it together where those... So the fucking dedication to nerdery where that comes <laughs> from is unreal. And Jason, like I, you are our super sleuth on this podcast. Yeah. I do a lot of Googling and I'm on the internet all fucking day sometimes, but some of the stuff that you come up with, Jason, I'm like, whoa, dude, how did you like pull that out? Thank so you. Shout out to all the, the, the punk rock inspector gadgets yeah. out there. <laughs> I love, I love Mojack. Like yeah. those guys, I feel like I'm friends with them, even though I've never <laughs> met them. Like, I feel like I'm like, I know these guys. Yeah. My, um, my wife says that about, uh, my favorite murder, which is also okay. slightly hardcore adjacent because Georgia from that podcast, her husband is Vince from Cross Control, and he does a wrestling podcast that escapes my mind. At is, the is hers a, it's, is that a true crime podcast? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love talking. that. I should probably yeah. listen to that. Yo, and that so their like society, their murderinos. And the murderinos have like conventions and I think like they toured, right? They toured. Yeah, they went they on the tour. Live. And they sold out, and then they yeah. they broadcast the pod, the live podcast, and people in the audience stand up and talk about like crimes from whatever city they're in. <laughs> I've listened to hours and hours of that podcast on road trips with my wife, and it's yeah. fucking great. So okay, I got it. Yeah, I, I recommend that. It's very well produced. It's very well done. They're funny. Um, and they talk a lot before they get to the murders, which is, you know, something that some people don't like that. (laughs) We've already gone too long, but we have one more cool piece of info. Oh, that's right. A little taste. Uh, we are going to be doing a Instagram takeover of revelation where we'll talk to, um, some pretty cool people. Yeah. Uh, from February 27th until March 4th, uh, we're just, we have most of them confirmed. It'll be Instagram live, uh, just one of us at a time, because, you know, all three of us 
don't live in the same house together. Yeah, and I, don't I think know, I don't know if that's a spoiler. Do people know we don't live together? Yeah, no, we, we don't. don't. I think I'm going to be doing Just a couple of my interviews from. I'm going to drive on over to Revelation and sit at Igby's desk and do my interviews there, which I think will be cool. And so make sure that you follow where it went on Instagram. Make sure that you follow Revelation Records on Instagram, and then when we drop the list of who we're interviewing follow those people on instagram as yeah. well and so that you and can then you won't miss it but it'll be uh 3 p.m eastern time um on those on the uh, dates february 27th to march 4th and if you watch live you can comment and you know drop some hearts in the chat and cool interactive stuff like that but then they will be saved so that you can watch it for the next like 24 hours or so but after that it's fucking gone it's not like this podcast where you can go back and listen to these episodes and interviews like i really really enjoy the impermanence of that that it's gonna be it's not permanent so you can count Mm. me out from saving it forever i see what you did there yeah it'll be up for less than 110 days you'll be out of time (laughs) all right all right right, ready let's kick it this Thursday night, we're gonna, we're not gonna do drown. Welcome to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation discography in in chronological order, and we covered a seven-inch that is so nice we have to do it twice, the Burn self-titled seven-inch, which is a great record. But today joining us, we have Gavin Van Black from the New York Hoods, from Absolution, from Burn, Die 116, Big Collapse, Side by Side, Diamond Heart Striking and Jiu-Jitsu, and Alan Cage, drummer extraordinaire. Who we've had the pleasure of speaking with, with before. So thanks thanks to both of you guys for coming and chatting well, with us. Thanks for having us, man. Thank you. So I wanted to kick it off and ask about the transition from absolution to burn. Um, that was interesting because we just did. Um, we touched on that slightly with I just did uh, Drew Stone's uh, podcast, and we talked about that. And it was interesting because uh, previous to absolution, like kind of like dismantling in a way, mm-hmm. I had already been talking with like Alan. Okay. Like we had just known we you know we knew each other because the whole scene at that point, and it was kind of like at this point it wasn't really the Lower East Side it was kind of Williamsburgish, and this is like when Williamsburg was like I mean this was we're talking Stone Age hipsters I okay. think it's like yeah I think we were like kind of the, the prototype for the Stone Age hipsters as opposed to the proto hipsters, <laughs> um, and uh, 
we just kind of were talking about music and different influences and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I loved what he, I, you know, he, he played in Beyond. I was like, oh my God, this guy, you know, hits like a fucking, just a monolith. He's a caveman. Yeah. He hits really hard. And I've always had something about drummers that don't, like, they'll, it's about the space that they use as opposed to like how much they, they fill the space up. And Alan's one of those guys who are just like, I mean, I feel weird complimenting here because it's stuff I would say to his face anyways. Uh-huh. Um, but it's like, it's not so much about what Alan plays. What he plays is, is dynamic in the fact of the space that he leaves for that breath, which I think really is kind of like what makes a great musician is knowing when to shut up. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, at that point, uh, Absolution uh, kind of, we had had some really, really great shows, but then all of a sudden it took like a really weird turn that I musically didn't agree with. Okay. And uh, I was very impulsive at that point in my life. And I was like, that that followed me detrimentally for a long time. Um, to where I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm done with it. And kind of just was like, I need to, I want to do something else. Yeah. And I, you know, I've already been talking to Alan and Chuck and I knew each other from like skateboarding and graffiti. And uh, Chuck was very kind of prominent in the scene with like, you know, the fanzine and uh, he had done a lot of different stuff, you know, and people, people knew him. He was one of those guys also in the pit that was just, you know, a phenom. There's always the guy. Oh, it's so funny. Like the guys that always end up like really great in the pit end up kind of like, you know, Carl, Carl DeMola from the Iceman and Underdog and, you know, guys like that. Uh, um, Armand Majidi from Sick of It All actually in Rest in Pieces was scary as hell in the pit. Um, but I knew Chalk and I was like, you know, you kind of need to be fronting a band. And uh, we knew Alex from Pressure Release and Alex was this very kind of, I don't, I don't want to say mild man, but he was like very different in that fact. He was just very, uh, he had a sense of cool about him that was different from quote unquote, the hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all really were totally, totally different people. And But it fit, it worked together. And Alex and I kind of started throwing ideas back and forth. And uh, we kind of came up with the songs for that, for that EP. Um, I think a lot of that stuff was written at the, at the Power Street house. Okay. Um, we were all kind of living together at one point, um, which made for, you know... A, it made it made for a good chemistry because we were kind of on top of it, and it was like the one of the things like there's so much we were living together. So like the idea for just bounce, it was a really neat creativity pool in a sense at the beginning at the beginning of the band, and I think that's what made for that uh, that EP to be so the way it was. There was an urgency yeah. to it. And, and Alan, did you, were you familiar with seeing Shaka dancing at shows and you were aware of him and, and friends at this yeah, point? Yeah, I knew Shaka. I, I can't, you know, I think I, we worked together. I think we were working together when the band started at, uh, at a health food store on First Avenue. Okay. Right, Kevin? Uh, oh, my God, that's right. Prana. Yeah, Prana. Yeah. So I think that was like, yeah, I, I, Prana. I, I yeah, that... known him through there. And I, I knew Gavin, like, I mean, you know, you kind of knew everybody was in bands. You kind of knew of them. But, uh, but I don't, I can't, like, really, it's so long ago, I can't remember when I first met people. But uh, something you said, Gavin, I, I've, I've been asked this a lot, and, uh, like, how to, you know, when different bands start, and you said, like, you were really impulsive at the time, and I thought, like, with Burn, people asked me about it, and I said, 
Yeah, it's really weird. I don't think I joined Burn. I think Gavin talked to me about it, like making music. And I was like, yeah, that's really interesting. We should talk more. And then next thing I knew, I was just like in a rehearsal. Because Gavin had this like energy, like he would leave something without giving it a thought. And then he had so much like, uh, you know, such a like ferocious energy about starting up new things and getting going right away that it was like, it was almost like a force that you, that, uh, that, you know, like it was like you were by inertia. The, the thing mm-hmm. would just start moving because they, you, you know, like, I think I don't, I don't even remember talking about it in any real way. Like, let's make a band. It was more like we got this rehearsal scheduled and then we were making songs and then there was an EP. That's my memory of it anyway. Yeah. And then when, Gavin, when, it, when it was like, I, I always thought like, holy shit, with whatever band Gavin did, like he would just, uh, you know, be up and running and going well. And then it was just like, like, like you said, for good or bad, I think, you know, it, it, there's something to sticking with something for, you know, like getting the benefit out of it. But I think mm-hmm. you always have this like confidence that you would uh, just start something new, you know, find a bunch of other players that, that make sense and are doing so and be able to do something really cool and new. So I guess it's all a matter of approach, but. Yeah, I think was that that sounds right. And then at some point we uh I moved in with Chaka. We lived in oh you too. Didn't we all live at that house on Power Street together for a while? For a short while. In Williamsburg? Yeah. 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 But I lived think- at Power Street and then also at uh at um at South Sixth Street, 99 South Sixth Street. Yeah, except I don't think we uh we lived there together. I think me and Chaka were living there with uh with like uh Mark Ryan. And Mark then you Ryan, uh, yeah. moved in mm. after us. We yeah, we were rehearsing. Yeah, we couldn't yeah. live with the, the, the no windows. <laughs> I don't know how long yeah, you stayed. It was we bizarre. We got locked yeah, in a couple times by the kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> because they had their gate, pull-down gate. They could just pull it yeah. down and, like, stick something in it. <laughs> that place that sucked. Noble, I, remember, I remember at a point living there, and it was like... like um, it was kind of like a red light district, low level red light district. Yeah, but the chuckers. Yeah. yeah. Whenever the cops used to raid it, like the hookers would run into our apartment and into the bathroom. And it was like really, uh, you'd be sitting there watching TV. You guys must have left like, the door open. That never <laughs> happened to us. <laughs> yeah, no, we would leave the door open all the time because there was no ventilation in that fucking place. You know? That's amazing. The other, yeah, so I think, and we come to yeah. think of it, I think. Those right, those EPs, the quicksand one and the burn one, were written in that basement. I think were worked on in that basement. Yeah, yeah, they were all kind of sussed out in that basement. Okay. It's a bar, like a Latin bar. Yeah, it's a bar called Bimbe now. It's like an Afro-Cuban yeah. place. That's yeah, cool. That I hope. I mean, because of this current situation that's going on, like all the, you know, my plug for local businesses. I hope it survives. You know, because it means a lot to a lot of people. Man, yeah. I went in there, I rode by there you on my know, bike um, on summer night, like super stoned. And I just, uh, I, had, I didn't know it had turned into a bar and I just kind of locked my bike up and wandered in. And it was just bugged out to be sitting like there, all this dancing going on and just be like, oh, this is where we, like, this is where my bedroom was. This is where this record, those records were. were. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, is awesome. crazy. Yeah. So for the writing of the songs, did you have lyrics written for the songs vocal uh patterns written for the songs and you know this is kind of a two-part question because the drumming on this record is just so it's one of the things i think of with the record when i think of it the drums are awesome on this record and it starts out with that 
fill, you know, the role on the, at the beginning of the song for, uh, for the seven. So was that written together or was that, I don't know. I just want to, I, I, I want to know about how those songs came together. Gav, you want to do it? My memory of the songwriting process for, uh, for burn was mostly was, I remember Gavin having almost, you know, most of the riffs. I don't, I don't remember you. You said Alex had written riffs. Gavin, but my memory is I always yeah, just Alex, Alex, Alex had some stuff that basically like what it was is because Alex base Alex's bass playing was so um not it wasn't linear mm-hmm. and yeah he would take like I would come with this riff and he would take something and it would like the riff, I would come out with a riff that would have this one shape and he would kind of like put something underneath it that would make it take on a whole different texture in a sense. That was mm-hmm. real. I mean, that to me, what made burn, what made that really cool. Um, and there's certain things like you talked about the beginning of shall be judged. Yeah, I think the genius of like that that beginning part, which is the genius of like Alan. Like we couldn't, you know, because you got that basic riff, which is kind of a very Motorhead discharge, and we couldn't find a way, you know, to like. It was weird, and for lack of a better term, it's like it was kind of just like just playing that straight out like that was rushing to fuck. There was no foreplay to it, you yeah. know? And it was, it was, it was like, it was like, you can't, you just couldn't do it. It was just, it didn't feel right. And Alan came with that, with that drum part. Um, and it was like, Oh, hold it. Wow. Whoa. This, it was, it was so weird. Cause there's this aha moment. Like, wow, this really fucking makes sense now. Like it, it opened up. And I think really the point where, you know, and, uh, music if you play like probably like the first bar of that drum part any dyed in the wool hardcore kid is gonna go shall be judged yeah you know because it is that drum part is fucking iconic absolutely we talked about it a lot i don't (laughs) i don't really remember uh like what i remember of the writing part like it it was very it's actually was kind of similar because i think quicksand wrote in a similar way where we're in a room when the songs like came together and some of them, you know, were, uh, were riffs that somebody had came to the rehearsal with and everyone, like, I think more so with quicksand, but I think even with burn, like there was some stuff that just came out of jams in the room. Like Gavin would say, Oh, keep doing that. And then just put something to it and start playing. And I don't remember the life of me with any songs. I don't remember what ones came about what way. And Chaka also had this way of like, he didn't play an instrument at the time, but I think he just would like, he was super creative and he would just sing parts. So as far as like, like that drum part, for instance, that could have like, for in my memory, it could have been something like put, play something before the, as an intro, or it could have been Chaka saying like something like, like, you know, really just trying to sing the, the bit. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Gavin, but well, I think Chaka adding to it. What's that? What, Gavin? It was, you could, he would almost scat to stuff, like kind of play cool. around with different cadences. Yeah, play around with different cadences, and like, and it wasn't even scat really out. words. Yeah, yeah. Well, you would also do this thing like with riffs, or like you know, like because you would come in sometimes with a full song, but sometimes with just a riff or, you know, uh, two riffs, whatever, and then fill in the blanks. And you were very, like, you had a lot, you had most of the ideas ahead of time, I think, but you were very, like, um, you know, open to, like, constructing and changing and moving things in a rehearsal. 
And he had a lot of very strong ideas, but expressed them in his like absolutely unique way, like as a non-player or musician. He would just scat things out, kind of like I remember, um, you know, uh, a tape of a live Billie Holiday concert where she's saying like, now everybody plays it this way. Like, it's so whatever. Try it like this. And then she just starts scatting the, the vibe she wants. And the musicians just yeah. catch on, do that kind of thing. And sometimes it would be like riffs would come out of it. But it was like this weird interpretation because he would have the idea in his head. He would scat it and then you would try and do it. But you know, I, I'm sure it wasn't never exactly what was in his head. It would just be like this very unique way of arriving at, at stuff. And I think a lot of the bridges were done that way, you know. How do we get from here to there? And he'd come up with some idea and you'd try and interpret it. Yeah, and it was, it, that was, that was, it was a lot of translation. I mean, I think yeah. about certain riffs and like, uh, like Last Great Sea. When I originally wrote Last Great Sea, that riff was supposed to be double time. And I played it to Alan and Alan dropped this big beat behind it. And I was just kind of like, again, it's something to a total different dimension. I was just kind of like, I remember my jaw just hitting my chest going like, holy fuck. You know, and it just, it, it made that, like that drum, that drum idea gave that guitar idea a whole different meaning. Mm -hmm. I, I thought writing with Burn was like some of the funnest writing music I've ever done in my life because it was, there was like an openness, like nobody was married to a very like specific thing. So it really like, uh, it felt yeah. like the way sometimes people talk about like, you know, often drummers talk about like, you know, really good drummers play to the song. They just play the song. What's good for the song, not what's good for their thing or whatever. Yeah. And I yeah. felt like the songwriting process in Burn was like that. It was kind of like, you know, you might come in, Gavin, with something you'd worked on really hard and really strong ideas about it. But it, if something that somebody naturally started playing to it worked better or was more unique yeah. or interesting, you were you were like never uh, slow to just be like, no, let's try it that way. That's And I think often most songwriters have a hard time doing that. It would take a producer to push somebody to do that because the producer hadn't yeah. spent all that working on it. You know, they, they weren't as married to it, but you would almost produce yourself, Gavin. You would uh, be willing to like, you know, you know, if Chaka, even if Chaka came up with something that was hard to grasp and hard, like you would take the time to like play, like let's play that out. And if it was better, you know, it, it was never, it was never a question of like, nah, let's stick with the original, you know, like it was, there was always this vetting of what works. And I thought that was really cool and like pretty unique because everybody contributed in that way, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it was a very, like, for, even from just talking to yeah. Taka last time, it sounds like a very, Burn was a real collaborative well, unit. Like, I, felt, I felt that way, and, but I, and I also thought it was pretty unique because I think, you know, Gavin was fully capable of, uh, you know, doing, you know, his songs, just like getting three people and saying like, here's the song. I think you could, uh, you know, come up with drum beats and, you know, in this day and age, demoed it all. You know, there were some bands that work like that, but uh, I think it probably wouldn't have been as unique, you know, like he brought out, it brought out like the best in each person, I think, mm -hmm. which was cool. Did we lose Gavin? <laughs> Honored, and it's like I also know that at that point in my life, I was not, I, I wasn't the easiest person to work with. Um, you know, I was really, really, I, you know, I had very strong opinions on a lot of things. Um, but you know, the one thing I know that I always did know about music was that it was like 
you know, when you're going in, it's kind of like, okay, you have to, you have to be a little, a little bit loose ended on it because if, if you constrict in on music too much, it kind of chokes it the fuck off. Yeah. Um, and quite honestly, like a lot of, a lot of my least favorite records are when, um, an artist that I like goes off and does totally his own thing and totally just like, no, this is the, this is solely my vision of it because a lot of the times it becomes more about ego than it does about, like Alan said, the song. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my opinion, my opinion on songs has always been kind of, you know, I, my songwriting process is like, I will, I mean, I literally still have riffs that I, that I've been sitting on that are, you know, almost full songs. I've been sitting on for like 10, 12 years because I will work an idea over and over and over again. Um, and I like the, the idea of the song being able to grow um, as opposed to, no, this is what it is and that's all it is. Um, and I think just like being that rigid about it constricts the actual creativity of what a song can actually turn into be, you know? Yeah. Because it is, like Alan said, it's a chemistry. It's a chemistry that makes something really great. And very seldom do you get like very seldom do you get like a Frank Zappa or someone like that, that, you know, you know, my favorite, my favorite artists have always been people like Peter Gabriel who kind of mm-hmm. got a lot of great people into a room and like, okay, here's my, here's my general idea. And what can, what do you bring to the table that makes this idea more, you know, more concise. So uh, that's something that luckily in all my pigheadedness and a lot of things, with music, I always was kind of like, okay, well, let's 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 see what this person. I this, I'm in a room with this person for a reason. Yeah, you know. So I imagine know. some of that. I imagine some of it too is that, um, you know, I've worked with. You know, it's a it's a different thing when you work with a singer songwriter, uh, like who's mm-hmm. you know who's coming in and they intend on their their songs. You know, pretty much worked on their head and they they intend on singing. You know, a melody and a lyric. And they, you know, if you change it up a ton, it's, you know, that's not going to work anymore. And I mm-hmm. think if I, unless I'm mistaken, Gavin, like it was always music first and then Chaka filled in. I think, did he write all the lyrics? I think he wrote all the lyrics, right? No, no. I wrote New Morality. Um, there's a bunch of lyrics that I've written. But again, it was like you, also like. Did you do the lyrics? Before, like, were you, did you do it after the music was written as well? Or did you, because I know the stuff he did, he did after. Did you do it when you wrote lyrics uh, after the fact? I have a different process. I mean, I write, I kind of do, I still to this day will, I'll come up with a basic idea and then start to lay out like a lyrical format to it. And it's not even like a lyrical format. It's more of like a, uh, a sequence format of like, you know, what the vocal patterns would be. I yeah. might not even have fucking words, um, yeah. but what makes sense rhythmically. And, uh, I mean, that's how, like, New Morality, New Morality, I literally, I've written that um, way ahead of time. I mean, the, the that riff had been in existence for a while. Um, and the lyrics I wrote, like, after, you know, I, I, that was written way ahead of time. Um, Out of Time, which I wrote, was also another one that I kind of, like, you know, I'd, like, been kind of, like, listening to, like, the the timing of the rhythm to the music and like what, what I had originally written and then I had to change it around a little bit once Alan and Alex had put their parts into it, but it wasn't hard to because what they really did kind of like brought more to the table and gave it more structure for the vocal lines to sit on top of. Yeah. Um, 
and then because Chuck and I, we 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 take it a different rhythm. So it's like if I write something at a certain rhythm, he doesn't get it, and it's like you know, it's like he's not he wouldn't sing it that way. So he basically would take it and turn it to like, okay, this is how Chaka would sing it, you know, because Chaka's Chaka's timing and rhythm and Gavin's timing and rhythm are two totally different. You know, we're different people. We see things differently. Um, mm-hmm. And I was never one to like be like, oh no, it has to be this, you know. It's like I was always kind of like, well, that's the way you feel it, and it works, you know. So I think that would be so hard. Like I feel like I, I played for people when I'm like, you know, just playing on somebody's demo or record as a drummer, you know, a singer songwriter. I feel like as a drummer, it's easier to do that. You can kind of, you know, like, all right, I see what you're going for and give them what they want. I can't imagine as a singer trying to, uh, you know, like do somebody else's version of you because it's a personal thing. You know, you're like, you know, if, you, if it doesn't feel right, it's just going to be ugly. I think if it doesn't feel like yeah. it's you. So yeah, it worked. Whatever it was, it worked out. And that record, that those four songs came around, came along quick. I think, like there wasn't yeah. a lot of. And by the time the seven inch came out, you guys were playing at least ten or twelve songs in your live set. So mm-hmm. I don't imagine that you just wrote four songs and then we're like, okay, we're these are the songs that we're going to record. So how did you choose those songs to be like? This is going to be the seven inch and this is going to be what order they're in. I think, the, Gavin, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think those were the, first, the four songs that we had when we wrote the, when we recorded the EP. But I think the other, like, pretty quickly we had, like, we were practicing a lot. We were practicing, like, three, four times, five times a week. And I think mm-hmm. by the, you know, the, like you yeah. said, by the time it came out, then we had, uh, we had a full album we could have recorded. Mm-hmm. But uh, those four songs, yeah. I think, got done pretty much right as soon as they were, there were four songs. Yeah, there was a couple right, other a couple other songs recorded for comps. The uh, drown. We, did, we had yeah, we had done some other recordings, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't turn out as. I think well. John played drums too. John Kirchen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he played drums on those. Like I think uh, for drown, definitely drown. Mm-hmm. There was a recording yeah. with John playing drums on it. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what uh, maybe 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 one other song, but I think maybe just that one. But he was de- he had definitely done the earlier, the earlier the earliest recording with you. Yeah. So that was done before. We had done, we had yeah. done yeah we had done a recording when well, you weren't on the recording with we did with John the Bastard right? No. No, so that was with John Christian. Yeah, I, we recorded yeah, that at Don. We recorded those four songs at Don's. Yeah. We were, and then yeah. that's actually the only time I recorded yeah. with you guys. Like I with that, I mean, that's one of my like real regrets is that we didn't just get to an album right away and put out a record because we. Yeah. I think you know the record was there, but it just you know times being what they were. I think everybody working, you know, like mm-hmm. it was, uh, well, yeah, we were, we had a bunch of kids who were like working jobs and trying to hold it together and trying to be creative at the same time. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's scattered, let alone, I mean, for God's sakes, we were all at that point. I mean, scientifically, none of us, none of our prefrontal cortexes were in contact with our amygdalas. <laughs> so we really weren't, uh, we really weren't yeah. capable of really conscious thought. We were very impulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've, was, I've said know, that to you when you walk, 
people were like happy to walk away from things at that time. I think largely because then you're like at that age, you just think like, oh, this kind of that's how being in a band is. There's like chemistry and you write stuff you're really psyched about. That's how it works. But it's not that easy, you know? Like, yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely. And I think you managed to do it, but like I'm, it, it, it wasn't easy. Like I'm sure you put a lot of work into it. It was hard. Like every time you have to build again. It's like, you know, you're taking, you're like, you're, you're using up your energy to like, oh, no, going into forming a new thing. Yep. Man. Yeah. Anytime you go into something, go ahead. Was it difficult, Alan, doing, because quicksand was going at the same time as this. I know we touched on it, I think, when we talked about quicksand, but like both of these uh, records were recorded in 1990. You guys were both playing shows, sometimes even together. Like, what was that like for you as a drummer? I loved it. I wish it could have went on forever. Like, I, um, you know, it was like the, like, in a way, it was like, I was so busy. Work, like Gavin said, I was like working a job or two jobs, like going, taking some courses at Hunter College. I remember just being on this bicycle, going up and downtown, like up and down Lexington and, and Second Avenue, where I'd have like work in the morning. And then go to, uh, you know, go to classes and then go back to work and then have like an eight o'clock. I remember doing rehearsals at this place in Midtown where I'd have like eight to, you know, whatever, eight to 10 with quicksand and like 1030 to like 1230 or one with burn and just doing like playing so much. I just felt like I was getting better. And like, especially burn, I was learning a lot about music, you know, like the parts were challenging. It was like you know, like stretching me a little bit. And uh, I loved it because I was just playing hours and hours a day just without even practicing drums, just writing music. And yeah, like I said, I, you know, it was so productive. Like both of those bands came up with albums. The I think the, the drag was, it wasn't that it was hard for me. I loved it. It was just that it, I think it was probably clear to everyone that at some point because of touring, you have to, you have to declare because you uh, both bands can't be as active as they want to be if they're sharing members and both of those bands, I think wanted to be like, you know, neither, not, it wasn't like a side thing for anybody. Yeah. It wasn't, right. it wasn't work. And, uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened. But I, I remember Chaka kind of, kind of putting it to me, like, you know, you gotta, which is it? And I should have just like tried to everything. If I, in my, myself now, I think I would have been better at communicating and saying like, I, you know, I want to do, we should make a record. Like, it would be, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what happened, it doesn't make sense. It's going to be a great record. And if it, was not, it doesn't wind up me, if I can't keep them both going and it starts getting in your way, you can get a, a drummer. Like, it's not like people can't, you know, can't do a good job at playing drums. But uh, it would have been great to record that record because we wound up recording a bunch of the songs later on EPs. But in a weird way, it just feels like Burn, like, do- we documented, but we didn't really get the benefit out of putting out, like, an LP when the band was at its you know, when it was taking, like, kind of really taking shape. Yeah, like, yeah. Between, what do you think, Gav? like between the first 7-inch and the last Great Sea, if it would have just been a whole LP's worth of material that sounded like that, fuck, that would have been, like, un- it would have been. I mean, that's what it would have been. There was 12 yeah. songs. We didn't record them all. There was, and Gavin had so many great songs. And I just think, you know, like, I was happy to go that we went and did it. We did, because we did two other, uh, other EPs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was happy they were documented, but they felt like an after document of it to some extent at that time. You know, uh, it didn't feel like, 
you know, like a band on a steady trajectory the way it would have, I think, if there was an album out at that time. But I don't, what, how do you feel, Gab? That's, that's my feeling about it. I don't know how you... No, I think Alan kind of nailed it. I think at that point, it was really... I mean, both us and Quicksand were playing a lot of shows. And, uh, yeah, there was things that we kept, like... We had the EPI and we kept playing shows and we are like, this East Coast phenomenon. And we needed to do a record, but it was weird. It was like... I think we lacked the organizational skills in order to make that happen. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, he, I think he, he hit it dead on is that it would have been a whole, I mean, and again, you're using that term would have been um, a whole different ball game. If we had put out a record with that energy, that urgency, that sound at that point. But, um, and, it, and it came to the point where like, burn became like these we were like the ep kings um mm-hmm. you know we had like three EPs and had never done a full record um with a lineup and uh yeah so um yeah i mean i think alan kind of like nailed that one it was you know it's again it's also young kids and young kids seeing everything in fucking black and white and not really looking at yeah. the, the, yeah. the whole scope not, you know, not having the experience that we have, you know, like have now to be able to look at the whole scope of the things and being able to like, okay, how can we actually go about this? Everything was so, you know, duh or duh. And uh, yeah. So. I think I would have, uh, I feel like I could have navigated it. Like I could have say like validated Chaka and said, I, I understand where you are. And probably Gavin, I, I remember talking to him about it, but I'm probably pretty sure you probably had similar feelings like it's you know everybody like here's this vehicle we have it's awesome and somebody's fucking it up you know like somebody's gonna it's gonna not be able to do what it should do because they're not gonna you know they're gonna be off doing other stuff and i feel like i would have been able to validate what he was saying and say you know but also maybe say like hey why don't we try it and just like let's like do a record as soon as we can and I'll try and do the, you know, all the touring that we need to do and all the shows that we need to do. And, but be fully understanding if it's not working out, you know, like mm-hmm. try, I would have, I would have tried everything I could have to make it happen instead of just going like, okay, I get it. You know, like he was just like, well, it's not going to work. And I was like, all right, I get it. But I, 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 you know, I regretted not trying to make it so we could have at least recorded the record and done something like we probably could have, we could have probably done a full tour cycle and a record, you know, at that time. And then maybe it would have started to become a problem and butt up, but whatever. Say la vie. That's a, you know, I'm glad yeah. we made a great B. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah, one maybe, of the yeah. ones um, yeah. that when we started the podcast, I mean, already like that is what people were like, Oh, I can't wait till you get to burn Yeah, burn. I mean, that's why we did, you know, think about this, a four song EP. And we were like, Oh, we got to do, we have two parts of the podcast for it. You know what I mean? Because it's that, to me, it's a it's a super groundbreaking and it's very like we've often pointed to it and we decided that it was maybe a little even before, but we pointed to it as the real turning point in the Rev catalog where after this seven inch, especially things got a lot different, a lot less um a lot you know, less thrashy, a, a lot more serious, a lot more experimental, mm-hmm. darker, mm-hmm. a little darker, bit, yeah. you know, um, and like you said, where musicianship, I think, not even to discount, I mean, some of those early records have amazing players on them, right. but I think 
you know, the burn seven inch was really, there was just stuff on there that you weren't hearing in, you know, a normal New York hardcore record. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think, I think Alan, you know, touched on because he was playing for fucking like four or five hours a day or more sometimes, you know, for X amount of years, like 86, 87, when these records started appearing. Yeah. Like Todd youth is already a shredder or, you know, some of these other guys are shredders, but now they're starting to have five, six, eight years of playing together, playing as a band, uh, as a unit to throw a burn reference in there, <laughs> you know, being able to play in basements together and, and write and really locking into their groove for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah, that really was, I think it was a um, big leap just mm -hmm. like where I don't, I'm not sure all, I, I don't know if I know the rev catalog that fully that I know what came out before burn, but I, I always, I think it kind of just felt like a East coast kind of Connecticut, New York city, straight edge label. And I think Byrne probably, you know, kind of like chain, like opened it up where like, oh, they're putting out all sorts of different kinds of records. And especially yeah. like, you know, with Absolution was like very clearly from a different scene, like a different ilk. Like when I think of Absolution, Gavin, I think of, uh, you know, not only Gingy, but uh, what was that? What, what was his name? The producer. Sergio was so. so uh, oh, Jerry, Will Jerry Williams. Jerry Williams. Yeah, I think of Jerry Williams. We're losing you, Will. Yeah, Jerry Williams, who that played a big part in that. Yeah, the Jerry like Williams, cool the, the Jerry Williams of the Roar, Bad Brains Roar tape, and yeah. that Jerry Williams. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, he's a Bad Brains Roar Yeah. Yeah, there was you know other bands too, but I, I just feel like there was it was you know it was all New York hardcore, but it was clearly like a different vibe, and it was kind of like a. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, to, for me, it felt like a, like I, something I wanted to be. I never wanted to, like, I remember Walter saying when we did that interview, like, I didn't really want to be, like, you know, in the New York straight edge. Like, I, I just didn't feel like a straight edge kid. And that, like, to me, being yeah. in Burn, more like, oh, yeah, this is just its own thing, you know, yeah. like own personalities. Yeah, and there's a place for, like, all that stuff. And that's, sure. you know, one of the reasons why we – love doing the podcast is like we love gorilla biscuits and judge and youth of today but we also yeah. love burn and into another and you know all the stuff where it was really thinking outside the box and to me even though i think chaka had told us burn formed in 88 or 89 but to me it's very it's very 90s in a good way like it's it sounds like a it's like ushering in um that nineties era of hardcore where things got different and things got less, uh, structured. And, um, like that's where I think th this seven inch is a huge, uh, like cornerstone for, for that kind of, uh, nineties hardcore. Yeah. And well, it's yeah. crazy that it was, you know, it's now, you know, it's 30 years later, 31 years later. And, People still go fucking nuts when the still songs sounds fresh. Played. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny, Gavin? I was thinking of like what you said earlier about the people being so different in that band. I yeah. think over the years, I've like used it as an example a lot of different times, like in conversation, where I'm like, you know, when people would ask about like what New York was like at the time or what hardcore was like, and like especially now having a kid, when you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs, it was real, like, you know. It, it was not it, it was not a diverse scene like everybody was like working class irish or catholic i mean irish or or uh, t italian 
and that's it, you know, like uh, going to the same schools, whatever. And then like coming into that world, like, I, I, like it just, I feel like some of that stuff didn't exist anywhere else. Like that band, like Chaka grew up in the projects in Queens. And if I'm not mistaken, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think what, what didn't, you know, wasn't Alex like an Upper East Side kid? Like, where that Alex, like, Alex grew up. He grew up rich. like near so yeah, so, Sutton Place area, Upper East I Side. I stayed at his house, uh, and yeah. I thought I was in the. I thought I was in the lobby when we took the elevator up. I thought there was a second lobby, and he was like, "Nah, man, this is my apartment." They had like a floor through. It was crazy. I was yeah. just like, "What?" Like just totally like different worlds, and then I I don't you know I know yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, like those four, like those like the four people, like I just think like being in a band, that band. And I try, I'm like, man, I was in a band with one kid, if I, and Gavin can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think he he was like, I think he had run away from home, I, I think, and wound up in New York at a really young age from yeah. Vermont or somewhere. I think. Tell me, Gavin. But then, and Chaka was you know, grew up in the projects in Queens and this kid was super rich and I was just like a suburban kid. That Those four people I could never imagine in a room together, um, you know, if it wasn't for kind of like how diverse a scene the New York hardcore scene was. And I feel yeah. lucky. You know? Yeah, that's what like the New York hardcore scene was. Everybody has an idea that it's all, it was always like, you know, street kids and da-da-da. It was a, such a wide variety of kids. And you think about like the suburban culture that played a really, really important part in that. I mean, I always talk about it because as much as we, you know, we played at the Anthrax and how the New York scene, the New York sound was so honed in Connecticut for lack of a better word. Cause you know, when we weren't rehearsing, we, you know, we play wherever was the most accessible. And one of the most accessible places to play was the Anthrax. Mm-hmm. You know, we played there so steadily and, uh, you know, it was it was a convenient place to play. And I think that's kind of what made a lot of the bands and I think made us good is that we would get up whenever we could. We, we would play places anywhere. I mean, it was kind of like the same ethic as Absolution had. It's like, if we could fit the gear into the room, we would play, you know? Yeah. When we first started out, that was it. It's just get up as much as possible. And that's kind of what makes that's kind of what makes someone skilled at the craft, you know, whether it's stand-up comedy or acting or whatever it is, is getting up and just getting in front of an audience. Cause that's the, that's the scariest thing where you really got to like knock that kind of like tension out off, off of you to being able to like get up on stage and not worry about the audience, yeah. you know, overcoming that and i think what you know like if you look back like agnostic front bad brains all of the a7 bands i mean treated a7 like a rehearsal spin degree and like we kind of places that we would play we could play at as often as we could we would play you know if it was you know if it made sense yeah hey being the thing is on the the podcast is on these uh specific releases on uh-huh. rev I was thinking of a couple of things that are pretty interesting about the uh, the Burn EP is uh, the artwork. I thought yes. like the photo, oh, yeah. the photo on the back, like the photo on the back, because I remember that for some reason I remember this pretty clearly. That was a photo taken by uh, Chaka's dad, who was an activist mm-hmm. and an, I think an artist too. Yeah. But he uh, he had taken that at a protest. <laughs> Sorry, Gav, you're breaking. Yeah, up he said bit. he uh, his father took it at a peace rally. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and the puppets. and the cover 
was taken. It was a video, mm-hmm. and we were like, it was. We were like watching a vi- live video of us from I don't know where, but I remember the one night, and and Chaka stilled it, you know, stopped it to go get something to eat or whatever, and it stopped right on the when some when there was a flash, you know, someone taking a still yeah. photo with a flash. Yeah. So it was just like, holy <laughs> shit, that looks cool. Get a camera, get a camera, and oh, we awesome. uh, just took a picture of the video of the screen of the TV yeah. with the, you know, like, and like back then, you know, with the VCR, it's not like you're going to get it ever to do that again. Yeah. You know, it's the quick, quick before something happens, it goes <laughs> away. That looks uh, amazing. The, it's I, one of the most iconic designs, I think. It like, is. It's one of my favorite record covers on road <laughs> for sure. Just, just for that reason. The actual well, photo used on the cover I've held in my hands. It's at revelation records, like the print of the photo. Yeah. And so it's, wow. you can tell that it was cropped. You know, it's like a regular three by five or whatever. And then, cropping the edge of the TV. And then the image is even <laughs> like centered in that a little bit. So on, on the actual, we'll put it on our Instagram, but there's like the black border around from taking the picture of the TV. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to see like the evolution. And we talk about all the time too on this podcast, how the artwork on these records was not done in Photoshop. It was done with fucking razor blades and glue mm-hmm. and white out and uh, tape yeah. you know and but i love that like there's mistakes you know like, yeah if I'm not mistaken i think judged is spelled incorrectly three different ways on that record <laughs> yeah. Whether... <laughs> yeah the back of like the early press was well, ju- funny you wanna, it. judge it if you want to talk think, about like there was one the, the early the, pressing i think it's spelled incorrectly in more than one way like it's spelled like it's written three or four times, like in the title of the song on the, you know, on the back DP and, mm-hmm. and then in the lyrics and in different spots, it's, it's like, you know, I think they're just misprints more than spelling errors. But yeah. in any case, I'm like, wow, we didn't get it wrong one way. We got it wrong several ways. <laughs> You're going to get it wrong. Do it that way. Go big or go home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And did so that was, was that, I don't know, the graffiti style, uh, the graffiti style, like lettering, I think you know, is really in, in tune with what you and Chaka both. I don't know who came up with that, who drew it, but it was cool. I thought the you know the actual lettering was cool too on the cover. Yeah, I'm not sure with that font, that font who created that font. Who I think that was I think Chaka did that. I think that's purely like Chaka's creativity right there. Right, but I mean, both um, of you guys did graffiti stuff, so it's like yeah, could have been anybody, right? I remember that's yeah. one of the I remember that but time the, was all the graffiti writers hanging around, like rehearsals. Yeah, would be like everybody yeah. had a name, Stacks, or <laughs> there was like a, a lot of a lot of graffiti and a lot of graffiti names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a, we had we had a lot of graffiti culture followers. Um, but it's interesting because talking about like you know how graphics used to be kind of like you know cut and paste and shit like that, literal cut and paste. Yeah, and I was thinking about like things like like Schism Magazine, you know, and how Tom and Tom and Tim used to like you know painstakingly put that shit together, and uh, yeah, it's just really like the, the the art of that kind of thing, you know, is just like those guys I remember because they were also Williamsburg kids too, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean it's just yeah, the, the way that the graphics were done back then is a whole different animal than now and i'm saying you know like yeah, I think the, now there's more variety and more capability to do cooler shit you know but that's what we had i was going to yeah. ask about don fury 
So yeah, this that was, was my question. Oh, okay. So this oh. was Don um, Fury. Yeah. So this was <laughs> was this your first time, Gavin, with Don? I know Alan. Hey, Patrick, Alan, don't leave me alone. No, no. I, I record. <laughs> I'll talk about Don. I'm happy to talk about Don. <laughs> I recorded with Don Fury with Absolution. Okay. Um, and it was weird. Like the Don Fury recording class was really kind of interesting because it was like. Um, he had, he had, he definitely had a method to his madness, you know? And I mean, trust me, there were the Don Fury back then was a lot of madness, but there was just as much method to it. Um, I, I mean, I know I butted heads on them a lot with like certain things on guitar sounds and so on and so forth and tracking and da da da. But, you know, I think that studio in general, and it was like the urgency to get in, and we had a very small budget get it done as good as we can within a short period of time was, you know, a lot of what made that EP as good as it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and it's like, you know, everyone knows like, you know, the Don Fury, you know, Don Fury studios was like that walk down space in, uh, you know, in little Italy. And it was kind of interesting because at a point like, you could go by there and there'd be people hanging out in his apartment, which was upstairs in the storefront, da, da, da. It was very much its own little scene in, in itself, too. You know, you know I, I think that might... I can't remember which record was recorded first or even came out first, The Quicksand or The Burn. They were so close together at the same... You know, right right around the same time. But, uh, which... I, my, you know, I, I had a good, you know easy time recording there. I don't really remember tension in that session, if there was in that session... But what I think about Don Fury is that, like, how integral, you know, when I when I think about scenes that, you know, a scene that takes off, when you just think of a place like, uh, I think we talked about this last time, like, you pick somewhere like, you know, uh, you know, R.E.M. and B-52s coming from Athens, Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, how is that possible, right? This tiny little town producing, you know, or the Melvins and, you know, Kurt Cobain and these bands coming out of, like, this shithole logging town mm-hmm. down in the middle of nowhere in you know in the olympic peninsula and i think it's that you have those certain things that come together that bring you know make a scene and make it possible and everything plays off of one another like you know whether it's fanzines and bands and uh, venues places to play but i think the other one is can we in some you know in some exciting way document this music and don's was a place like you know gavin mentioned the budget it's like you were recording at the right place for the amount of money you had. Like, I feel like Absolutely. we maximized by going there, you got every penny that you put into it, it, it you know, like you got your money's worth to mm-hmm. the to the penny. Do you remember how much the budget it, was? It was probably a couple, like three or $4,000, right? Yeah. I, I, if that, might have been $2,000, 2500 bucks or something. Like, it wasn't much, right, Gavin? Okay. I mean, the budgets yeah. were tiny at that point, and you just yeah, no, knew no, like it was he had—he was, was just ready, set up to go. It wasn't like there was any wasting time figuring out where mics were going to go, or you know what I mean. Like it was really like it, you know you were going in there with it, you know, ready to record, and uh, you know you knew you know like what what you might not sound like you know it might not sound like it was recorded at Electric Lady with you know the top producer in the world or anything, yeah. but it was gonna. You know, gonna sound good and you're gonna hear everything it was gonna be powerful and like tight sounding and uh and you were gonna get it done for what for the amount of money you had and i think his you know his contribution is pretty massive in that in a lot of that music that was coming out 
And Gavin, you mentioned his place. He had all these cool parties too, man. I remember seeing, you know, yeah. uh, Cop Shoe Cop and uh, God is My Co-Pilot and all these like cool, like kind of artsier bands that he was like, you know, in that scene kind of. Mm-hmm. Would be would play at his right at his house at his apartment. Yeah, we're on the we're on the twenty second release, and like I would say, at least what seventy five percent of them Don had a hand in. Right. You know, yeah, so, so you can't really cover, can't really talk about. I feel like you can't talk about Revelation Records without talking without about talking Don Fury. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. What, what Don did best with that space because it wasn't a big; it was a small room, and yeah. you know, you, you know, the little bubble the for the drums. Yeah, the amount of gear that he had wasn't like huge, but he could capture. And case in point, like agnostic front victim in pain, he can capture. Like, and that's really what I think a producer does well. You know, some producers can really like create and take something and mold it and shape it and da 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 da. And others can capture. Like, if you look at like what Don did with. You know, agnostic victim in pain. Jerry what did with like Bad Brains Orchestra. They captured energy, and I think Don did an amazing job with that. With us, with Gorilla Biscuits, with a lot of the stuff that he did, is that he got it in there and he set the right environment to be able to set the right energy and tone, and be able to like get that down on what was literally tape then, you know, it was like, we were still recording to tape. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, we weren't recording the files. Yeah. There was 16, it wasn't 24 track, it was 16, right? Yeah. 16 track. Yep. Yeah. Which it was like, a, it was an interesting format that he, yep. you know, and it was all like, it was like, I think that's part of it is like, it was, you're all, you're working. Like, I feel like a really good, like whatever engineer producer, but like whatever you're going to call yourself, the people who are making records, like one of the best talents is being able to under, like part of it is just like budgeting. Like this is what there is. This is how much time mm-hmm. or money we have. And this is what I, I, knowing how I can get the most out of that situation and get, you know, make sure that we move along at a pace where we get it done. And uh, it's as good as it, it can possibly be for that. And he was pretty great at that. And that even that format is limiting, you know? Like 16 tracks, like you're not, you know, there's no more. That's, that's it. That's what we got to work with. Like I said, he had such a hand, it, you know, sort of like we talked about, uh, you know, earlier, even talking about like inner ear studios with DC, like Don Zintara doing all that stuff. Like Don Fury was just doing that just in New York, like capturing that whole scene yeah. and, and, you know, documenting and uh yeah it, it is a big what if like man a burn lp in like 1991 like shit that would have been or 92 <laughs> you know and um mm-hmm. but like you said things happen the way they happen is, yeah. you know there's nothing we can it's what, really... it, it's what it is i would say that don when you said 75 percent, i'm like yeah I, th- I would say that don actually basically it was the default for New York hardcore, what the default play was to record at Don's. It's like if you weren't recording at Don's, somebody had you know thought of a reason not to, or you know, yeah, it was like, so easy. It was also, like you didn't have to travel anywhere. Like you took. I remember. I don't think we used his drums. If I remember, the only reason I remember that, Gavin, or did we? I, I just remember like leaving a drum in a cab or something, and Chaka chasing the guy down the street. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
get a drum set. I think, there. We brought, I think we brought your kit into the into it because his the kit that he had wasn't really great. And it you wasn't, were, but it always sounded fine. I, I think we wound up, we might have brought the drum. I, I can't remember if, you know, for I, I can't totally remember whether or not we used his kit in like one of those, definitely in one of the sessions, either Quicksand or Burn, that I used, uh, yeah. you know, we used uh, uh, my kit, but. I think it was yeah. like basically it was like everything with it. It wasn't worth it because you had to, you know what I mean? Like he was set up and ready to go, and it sounded. Yeah, he, he basically had everything set up, like all the mics were at the right distances. You know, he. If he, you wanted to go in and record that. one song in an hour, you could do it there. If you came, if your yeah. shit was tight, it was totally yeah. possible to go in there and be like, "Don, this is all we got. We got three hundred bucks for book an hour or whatever, and you could do it." <laughs> you know? How long did EP take? I don't remember. Couldn't have been long. It wasn't so long. Was like, it was kind of like a, a weekend. It was a weekend thing. It was like in on Friday, out by Sunday kind of thing. Yeah. And this was pretty yeah. much uh, Chaka's first time singing, right? Like singing for a band. Like we we talked, you know, with Chaka last time. So what was that like? Like kind of having that mystery of not knowing – like, did you know beforehand, like, what he was going to sound like? Like, could you – because I know some bands, like, I couldn't hear him at practice. I didn't hear until we actually tracked the record. Yeah, you could – he had a booming voice, man. When we played live, you yep. could hear him. <laughs> like, you might have been able to hear him without a PA. <laughs> he was, yeah. Like, he projected. Yeah, there was no shyness to his no. singing. No, we kind of – yeah, we, we, we kind of knew it, the what – what it was going and we were we had, we had played those songs enough live to have an idea yeah. like you know like there wasn't a lot of mapping out that we had to really do yeah and something that i didn't pick up on until chaka actually brought it up was gavin's use of d beat in the riffage especially on like godhead um and I didn't realize either that Gavin had like a really strong punk background. So, so how was it hard to take that background and the D beat kind of style and then just plug it in to something new or what did it just flow for you? Um, for me, it was just kind of, I mean, I mean, I look at the bands that I like look that was really looking up to at that point. Like, that I'm not even looking at it, just heavily influenced by like mm-hmm. Discharge, Motorhead, uh, Conflict, Crucifix, Broken Bones. A lot of the British punk stuff I really fucking loved. Um, you know, and then there was a lot of metal, like Venom and shit like that, that used that style of beat. Um, that I just, there was an urgency there that I thought was really fucking amazing. Um, you know, it was at that point when I was playing, it was it was fast enough to keep a timing, but it wasn't like, let's say, DRI, which is total blast beat kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which can, I, I mean, unless you know what you're doing really well and you're like DRI, you, it can get confusing to the listener. I could find like some kind of like rhythm within that that just made sense to me. You know, and I thought it I thought it worked well with what we did with hardcore. And again, keep in mind that we weren't trying to we weren't um uh, I'll say we were a band that wasn't trying to make we were trying to actually like 
I don't think we were intentionally trying to innovate, but we were trying to make something that wasn't being done happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, we weren't going into it being like, oh, well, we want to sound like these guys because we want to appeal to these people. We just wanted to write some fucking stuff that we wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And that was a really like large part of, I, I think, made what made our sound really fucking... I mean, I hate it. It's weird saying it as the artist who did it is unique. Yeah. Because we didn't draw. I mean, there's, yeah, there's no other way to say it, though. Yeah. It's, it's no, we didn't draw from, we didn't draw from the same influences. I mean, all I, was, I said it a thousand times, and even in me saying this as plagiarism, but all art is theft, you know, and we were just stealing our shit from different places. Yeah. You know, our just came from just a different, I mean, like I think back about when Alan was, you know, basically a total percussion addict, for lack of a better word. Like, you know, he would go to the drummer's collective and practice. He would practice with Quicksand. He would practice with us. He would sit at home, or if he got free time at Prana, he would have a drum pad and just be like sitting there, boom. And it was like, I never saw someone like from when I first met him to when we started to record like his, just his technique and his, um, his repertoire just became so expansive because he put himself around. Like I remember talking about playing, you know, like playing with like, like street buskers, guys like up in Harlem that he'd talked to about playing like, and pulling these influences in and just like that, that I think is a big thing because you're not pulling from this homogenous pit of like a lot of times with what, what happens with music, especially with quote unquote scene oriented music mm-hmm. is it pulls from the same influences over and over again. And it becomes a very kind I mean, it becomes very inbred or homogenous. And um, after a while, you start to see, you know, you, it's easy to see where it came from. You know, man. And, do you think that the nights I heard that you were working at a bunch of different clubs in New York at the time, some jazz clubs, some other stuff like that. Do you think that that influenced oh, yeah, your writing? Yeah. yeah. That was another thing too, is that there was like, um, there was a lot of other music at that point that we were kind of really into outside. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like industrial was starting to come up like, yeah. like ministry and then like things like me beat manifesto, which uh-huh. was more influenced. And that was, I mean, I, I think that was also kind of a thing with Chaka and I was like, let's create something that's going to make bodies fucking just move. That's what that you cover know? makes me think of when you said it that. It wasn't about, yeah, it wasn't about like, quote unquote, the mosh part. We were trying to make different textures make people move differently. And uh, I think that was a lot of the success that we had is that we had we had like, you know, if you knew how to dance to hardcore, we had shit for shit at all speeds, you know, yeah. it wasn't just like sure. waiting for the part, waiting for the mosh part, which was what a lot of it was at a certain time. Well, like we talked about when we talked with Chaka and we were talking about the songs and saying like a song like out of time, like that ending part comes out of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's like nothing like, you know, like it's not, structurally like anything like i can think of in yeah. punk or hardcore but it works and it makes people think you know makes people go wild when burn yeah. plays like to this day 
Um, yeah, I mean, when I when we originally wrote that, I remember saying like something. I was like, it was one. I, I I don't know if it sounds utterly pretentious, but I was like, I want this to sound like a triangle rolling uphill. You I know? love that. Yeah, and it was like I just remember Alex looking at me, going like, "You're out of your fucking mind." <laughs> but with what Alex put behind it again, and that's a perfect example of Alex and Alan. Me, I mean, I would have these riffs, but they would add the stuff behind it that would give it that different shape and texture that made it, um, you know, that made it what it is, you know. So it's like, you know, it was, it was that collaboration, yeah. Um, and I always kind of look at music as like in shapes and colors, it's just the way I, I look at things, um. You know, and I try to keep that kind of to myself because usually, you know, you say like, ah, I want this to sound like an orange triangle rolling uphill people. you like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, my visualizations, I kind of keep, try to keep a little bit to my own head, you know, because of the, the, the lack of sounding either insane or pretentious, mm-hmm. you know, so... So with with Gavin, this is for you. I know, you know, you've, you're a person who I can tell you're always thinking forward, you know, like even just in the way you said you operate with bands, like you do the record, do the band a little. All right. Next thing. And, you know, this being 30 years in hindsight, where do you where do you rank this record as far as like even just the burn stuff? Like we, we had talked with Chaka a bit about how like you go to see burn and like you guys have a a lot of material now uh you know yeah. you have the full length you have a bunch of eps you got the cleanse ep that alan uh is also yeah. on but like it seems like for whatever reason when any one of these four songs from the seven inch comes on that's the one that gets the most visceral like crazy reaction um like as an artist like wh- what what do you think about that like does it does it bum you out at all or are you just like stoked to like hey People are into this first record. That's cool. Um, and then, like, where do you rank it? Um, I'm super proud of that fucking record. I think uh, it's one of the best recordings I've ever done. Um, but also, I think the thing is, it's 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 a record that stands up and from an era where there's a lot of records that were out that time that were like when they came out, they were huge. They didn't stand up as well over time. Um, but, I mean, the thing about it, too, and this is someone, you know, 30 years down the line, when it first came out, it was looked at very, very differently. People were like, oh, well, it's a little, you know, it's, and it's ironic, too, because when we first were people like, oh, it's, you know, I don't know, it's metal. And then all of a sudden there was this huge, everyone started kind of sounding a little more metal. Um I don't think it started getting the accolades really from general people until maybe about a year after when it first came out, like all of our friends, like I remember, uh, you know, I remember Walter, Walter being like, wow, you guys did something really, really like unique and really, really fucking like that turned out really amazing. And like our friends were, everyone's gassed on it. I think a lot of people outside of our direct that knew us, 
were kind of looking at it a little bit like, well, this is strange. Because it was. It was strange. It, we didn't do something that had come out. It took a while for that to grow. And that's another thing that I've noticed with the Burn Records was um, – like the the cleanse record case in point when we, that first came out, a lot of people were like, "Well, hold it, this doesn't sound like typical burn." We don't, none of us really know what typical burn sounds like. Um, and then a couple of years after that was out, people started being like, "Oh, that record is amazing." And even now, when we just did the fucking the do or die record with you know Death Wish with people when we first came out, people were kind of like, "Oh," and now I get emails from people like, "Oh, I you know I've listened to that record a couple of times. Now I kind of get it." We're not one of those bands that when you sit down and you listen to it, and it's just like, "Here's the song," you know, it's like, <laughs> right? You got you got a room full of very you know very very um, cerebral people. And like we all are, I know Alan's, Alan's one of the smartest fucking people I know. Um, and, uh, you know, and Chaka is brilliant in his own way, like in the way he thinks about art and music and how he goes about things. And our stuff, I, I, none, nothing that we, we do really can be looked at straight on and be, you know, it has to be held up at the right angle. You know, yeah, and that's, maybe that's a that's that's a damning that's a damning uh, situation. But I mean, that's how that's that's the that's our creative process. You know, um, we don't write things that people get. We write we kind of write shit that forces people to think. Yeah, I know? kind of I consider burn to be like for smart kids. You know, it's it's not it's not some uh, Neanderthal. <laughs> it's not just some like neanderthal thrash brutal you know it's like you like you said you have to digest it you have to yeah. look at it from different angles and then oh yeah now i get it and i think yeah. that's one of its strengths too and yeah. no two burn records sound alike like not none of them you know I mean, that's one of the things i like there's bands out now that like um you know, it's like, and I think that that it's awesome that bands are allowed to do that because at a certain point, we'll hold it. It doesn't sound like their last record. Musicians should be able to morph. It's one of the things I love about the, like, like the last Quicksand record is that it doesn't sound like, I, I know it's Quicksand because they're my fucking friends. But if you listen to it, like, oh, oh this, is, this is, they're in a different direction now. This yeah. is really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk, like, that's one that's that took me. Yeah, that record, it, it, the first single that came out, you're like, oh, fuck, like, you know, this is quicksand, but again, it sounds more mature. And then yeah. I think that's another record where it took people a while to digest it and sit with it and see the songs played live also and see what they're doing. Like, oh, he's playing a fucking six string baritone right here or whatever it is, you know, like you can actually witness the experimentation happening rather than just be like, <laughs> Hey, I wanted to uh, comment on that. Uh, oh, sorry, go. Go ahead. No, go ahead, buddy. I want to comment on that. You had, you had asked about like the response, you yeah. know, difference between like whatever the. I, I want you know. I think a lot of that is just really, you know, comes down to well, yeah. If, if there's people who were around for that, you know, at the time that record was put out, you always have this thing around. If you're, you know, you're kind of reliving. A moment in time you know that was like special for you right so like that you, you were into it and i think for the younger kids like somebody kids who, who weren't around who are into burn now and who weren't around you know when that record came out 
I think there, there, there's a natural excitement about it because it, it's, you know, there's like a certain premium put on like, you know, the old school or something, you know, like, well, right. this is, you know, before that time and it was the first thing they did. And, you know, there's an, I think, it, I think to some extent, you know, it's like almost like a false comparison. Like people want to be excited, you know, you know people who weren't there want to be excited about the thing they missed, you know, the thing mm-hmm. they kind of like idea or like idealize that, yeah. that moment. I, as much as the songs, it has to do with like that moment in time, you know, it's like whatever New York hardcore in 89, 90, I think there, you know, people are, are putting it up on a pedestal to some extent and you know, whatever that's, it's fine. It's cool. But I think the music kind of just stands on its own and, you know, and I think that, you know, whatever, like that's, I, I think every band deals with that. To some, I mean, it's way worse if you're in a band that like, you know, like a more mainstream band that has like a hit single, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be out there shaking it to that single for the rest of your life, <laughs> like it or not, or you're going to leave a lot of people like, you know, unsatisfied yeah yeah and some of the best stuff takes a while i think like like gavin said takes a little bit of time to gestate and really catch on like you mentioned the quicksand interiors i'll i'll say here like when i first heard i was like ah and now i fucking love it but it took me a while of like really you know sitting and listening to it and kind of like a slow burn for lack of a better term and I think sometimes people don't give stuff the opportunity to even do that because of the way we consume music now where you can just go on, you know, streaming, listen to it once, be like, this isn't for me, and then write it off, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think Burn is uh, like also like a testament to that because, again, Cleanse, I mean, I loved Cleanse right when it came out. I was so excited because that was the first Burn I got in like real time. But I know people that were older were like, oh, no. Nah. And now those same people are like, yo, it's a really good record. You got a good you know, reaction. What's funny, is, what's funny is, I, like, I don't think, I think basically those, I think the two EPs that I did with you, Gavin, it was what, it was Cleanse and what was the other one called? Last Great Sea? I Cleanse, think it was Last the other Great EP. Sea, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I, I don't think yeah. there are any new songs on either of those. I think those were like eight of the songs or seven of the songs or whatever that would have been on a 12 song EP in 1991 or whatever, you know, I don't, okay. right. They weren't, they were, I don't, those were just the songs the that we song, would have done. The, the song cleanse was a new, was a new song. Mm. Um, that was but like the majority the of them, I, cause I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't spend much time with you for those. You know what I mean? Like we did, like yeah. I came out and we, like, we, it was basically like just come out and record. Like we didn't do a bunch of rehearsals or anything. So the, I think the material was almost, it's what the irony is that people would be like, ah, I don't know. I like their old stuff better when those songs were the songs. That They're we were all 10 year old songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, we, most of those we had played live. Those I were the songs Alan, we were playing live. Alan hit it right on the head where he says, and this is something that I think people have to get over is nostalgia, um, you know, and pining for something that, you know, like isn't around anymore because especially if we haven't learned anything in the past year, that time is fucking non-redeemable and i think i've seen a lot of people and it's really tragic to be like oh my life is on pause i'm like that's a really tragic choice to make um but you know because there's still really good music being put out there there's still a lot of really awesome art out there and if you can't accept accept something like and I just, Burn has never been, we've never been a nostalgia act. We've never been about like, yeah, we're bringing it back to, we've always been kind of trying to like 
okay, well, what's next? What can we do next? Yeah. What's going what's gonna to make burn more current and not what's current now, but what's kind of like, what's burns current? You know, what is our, you know, what is our electrical charge and what is our timing? You know, right. what's going to make yeah, sense for us? You know, that's like when we did do, when guys. we did the, go ahead. I got to see the you know, the band in more current incarnation. Um, I think in Atlanta we played a, a festival together. Yeah, it, like maybe yeah. four years ago, before years ago. Mm. And I remember like that was the yeah. first time I seen you guys do you know like see, seeing seeing Burn as a modern band, and I was just like, holy shit, man, this is just like you know anybody like I don't like I didn't get to see it from the other side when we were playing, but yeah. there's no way we were better. You know, different, slightly different, maybe. But I mean, that's as good as that. You know, like it's, it's, it's like a whole thing. Like, yeah. But anybody, you know, what I'm saying, like anybody who thinks anybody, anybody who's like who saw that a show in that era, that was thinking like, oh, that band used to be really, you know, or like if it back, it's not quite the same as it was back then. It's kind of missing something because you know what I mean. I played in that band. I know, like we were a good live band, but the band that you had together at that time that I saw you with was like killing it um there's no way that. that it didn't hold up in every way to like you know the yeah. best show that we did back then i fucking love i love all of it all incarnations of the band i think are fucking we're you know we're we're uh, people are always going to want to put do that a little you know they're going to want to yeah. put something on it and not just accept the like oh, whatever we're here it's now and just take the experience for what it is this band is slaying it up there yeah. And one of the things uh, that I always admired about Burn was that when you guys would come back, because, you know, I missed the first uh, round in the early 90s. You guys did come back in 98 to, in like 2001, and that's when we got cleansed. Yeah. Like there was always new. And then when you came back again, you know, there we got three new records. We got the uh, the Ashes, uh, yeah. on the Ashes 7-inch the yeah. do or die and the that mountain seven inch the mountain, yeah so and and i think that's cool like it, it is it shows that it's more than just nostalgia it's like hey we're sure we're gonna play songs from the first seven inch and last great c but yeah we're still doing stuff so i guess the question would be uh, what's what's the future of burn because i know you guys were scheduled to do the black and blue bowl um oh Future, the future of Burn is like, I mean, that's like saying, what's the future of live music? Um, <laughs> fuck. I mean, it's like we're, we're, we're in a boat um, that is like, has a shitload of passengers. Cause I mean, it's like, and like everybody talking, like, oh, I miss live music, you know? I mean, I miss playing live as well. I mean, I have a lot of other things right now in my life that are taking up a lot of fucking time. Um, you know, like I jokingly say, I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, a, uh, a platonic open relationship with 160 people, you know, being a, yeah. being, being a martial arts gym owner. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's like, I really have to, you know, and it's, it's awesome because I don't look at it. It's not a job, you know, it's, I, I fucking love what I do. Um, it's a blast. Uh, I've been really successful with it. Um, you know, uh, so I've had stuff to work on while this is, is, you know, while this has been going on, but I have a lot of friends of mine who are like, you know, 
that 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 was their thing. Like they they play music, you know. It's like, and uh, I really want live music to come back. I mean, I talk with cousin Joe about like the B and B. We're scheduled still to play. That could happen, provided. I mean, again, it's providing that venues are allowed to open back up. You know, yeah. which I'm very much hoping that they will be. You know, we got to keep things safe. Uh, you know, I. Uh, you know we have to be a lot more careful with ourselves and others than we have been, you know, that's a big call. The big fucking wake up call. And, you know, it's as simple as waking up, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I guess talking about songs, yeah, we'll, we'll end here with something we always do. uh, Asking hot tracks. Alan, I know is familiar. So we just basically ask on that burn seven inch, the release we're talking about, do you have a hot track? It can be a favorite just to listen to, to play, to, to write, like whatever. Like if you had to pick one standout to play oh, someone. To play, especially live, out of time. I mean, don't get me wrong. Fucking shall be judged. That middle, that middle part is fucking... I think it's not as fun to play. It's fun to play. But to watch the crowd reaction to that is phenomenal from the stage. But to play out of time is kind of, yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's one I just fucking love playing live. I, I feel that song, you know, because chord wise, tempo wise, there's all this, all the things in it in a song that I really fucking dig, you know? Totally. So, yeah. And then how about you, Alan? Uh, Shall be judged. I love that track. Yeah. Just yeah, beginning to end is great. Yeah. I love, be, whole, uh, I love the whole descending bit at the end. Like it just kind of like breaks down to nothing and just snaps. Yeah. It's a beautiful. I love it. Yeah, that would be my definite second. And it sucks because it's like you're picking puppies out of a litter. And yes, it's like, that's right. a good way to describe that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think when, when we did part one, every every track was represented by at least one person. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't one track that wasn't chosen. Like I, I picked Godhead. And I think, Jason, you did Drown, right? I did, yeah. And then actually one of the rare cases where Javier and I agreed because we both picked Godhead. It was like a monumental thing because we yeah, don't usually wild. agree. Was there any songs that you wish would have gone on this seven inch? Yeah, all of them. Like the Inside Out record, it's a four song seven inch, but it's a six song CD. So yeah. if you could have, let's say you could have tacked an extra song or two on there, what would you have picked to put on as a bonus? I think honestly, last great because mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like what I love about last great because we've done that on a couple of recordings is that that song is continually grown. It has continually grown and changed. I think as as and I'll say it, I think we should be allowed that liberty to be able to because people get like oh they changed the song. Well, it's our song. It's our right. Yeah, You know, it's our, you know, um, I don't think that certain things need to be set in stone in that matter, you know, um, and I think it's good when a song can grow. Um, yeah, I think Last Great C would have been great on that because I think it would have been con- uh, 
textually a lot different than the stuff that was on there. So it would have made sense. You know, that's a great, I can't wait to talk about that in like four years. It's the Rev 108. Rev 108. Which were were both of those? I I didn't even know. I didn't know that was on Rev. Were both of those CD, uh, both of those EPs on on Rev or just one? Yeah. Yeah, And that didn't come, that didn't get released until 2002. Yeah. And so, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And Cleanse was on uh, Steve and Kate's label, uh, Equal Vision. Mm-hmm. Oh, which one came out first? Which one of those came out first? Actually, Cleanse was released Cleanse first. Yes, Cleanse was released first. Oh, you know, you know what? Like, come to think of it, I don't. Now that I think of it, I played on both of those, right? But yeah, one of them was one of them. Cleanse, we went and recorded in DC. Yeah, like yeah. after, like post post me playing with you guys, it was like you called me up. But the yeah. other one, the uh, the other one must have been like actually. Now that I think of it, those were, were they recorded at Don's in those a different were, set? It was recorded like, at Don's, and those demos. were supposed to be they were supposed to be demos for Road for Roadrunner. Ah, that wow. makes a lot of sense. So, though, yeah, those were like when we had those twelve songs. It was like here's three of them, whatever yeah. you know, like around that time, and they, they like eventually got put out. That makes it so. You know what? That uh, that makes sense too. That. Um, I bet you there was. A, I, I'm pretty sure that we recorded that EP, the the first EP with Don's drums. I think uh, when we met, when I left some drums behind somehow in a cab, that was when we went and recorded that. I think that oh, was recorded with my drums. All right, nice. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I could never figure out. I was like, wait a minute, where did that? I remember seeing that EP and be like, <laughs> where did that come from? I remember going to DC. It was a kind of a weird time in my life, so I barely remember it. But I remember going to DC and recording that that EP in DC. Because Vic was Ken Olden, right? Yeah. Yeah, Victor Carr uh-huh. played on it. So Victor Carr played on it, and so did Manny Carr. Manny. Okay. I, I saw Manny, Burn. Manny had no money to get on the bus to go home. I remember giving Manny like 20 yeah. bucks or something. He was totally yeah. like, <laughs> That was yeah, the first right. time I saw Burn was with Victor Carr uh, in Philly. It was. Oh, yeah. Uh, at that place, the Rotunda. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. it was, it was, did I play I that show? I remember playing a couple I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah you did. I think we played with Most Precious Blood. Yeah, my band, Count Me Out, played also. I was going to say Jason's band, yeah. I think, played too. Uh-huh. Um, and there were three or four shows with that lineup, I bet. Yeah. Like Kevin, it was like all yep. the weekend. The night before was Long Island, and I remember seeing the, uh, Alan, I remember seeing your drums with the quicksand stencil on there and, Getting very happy to see that. I took <laughs> photos with that. I have in the scrapbook. Did I play that show as well? Did what? No. Um, I don't remember. The singer for Bane was there at the show. That's all that I remember. Yeah. But that was a cool time. Of course, time. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But Cleanse, we'll put that out in the ether. That needs to be re, uh, repressed. Re-upped, yeah. It's hard to find. I have a copy, but you know, other people should be able to get a copy. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, like they should, if it's like, because it, was it just on Equal Vision? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I believe so. Yeah, Jordan should just put it out. Like repress well, it. I mean, the stat, well, if you look at the statute of limitations on, I think it's been 20 years, we could very much, I think, pretty much, I think the rights should revert back to us. We could probably put it out. 
Or whatever, I'm sure Jordan could just, if he's not, if they're not putting it out, Jordan, you know, if you get Jordan to put it, you know. You could just do a, a, a box set, including some I mean, I uh, unreleased and demo. I talk, I talk with Kate from here to there. You know, I could probably talk with her and be, you know, I, I just seem yeah. to be either label. I don't think they have any issue with it. I'm just to get Yeah. Yeah. It'll be yeah. cool because, like I said, it's, it, it's actually, it's a harder one to find now. Um, yeah. And because I had bought it on the CD when it yeah, came so I was going to say CDs were hot back then. Yeah, so I had the CD, but I have I got the record later on, uh, thanks to my buddy Justin uh, D. Martin, Bidipo Justin. Um, but it would be cool if it was out again and people could get it because, like I said, I love Cleanse. I'm. I wish it was on Rev only so that we'd have an excuse to do an episode on it. But <laughs> Equal Vision rules too. <laughs> Kate and Steve are awesome. So, yeah. Fair. Well, it looks like we're out of time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Dad dad jokes never end. Gavin, uh, Gavin, we wish you luck with your um, endeavors, with your new school that is opening. Thanks so much. Um, I'm actually... Yeah, actually, the the, the academy is going really well. Um, I'm actually working on I'm recording some more canonized stuff, more canonized stuff, and uh, also we're talking about possibly putting out a new absolution song just uh, for the hell of it. So, oh, nice, awesome! These are all things that musically, yeah, love absolution. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank no. you for joining us, Gavin. Thank you. Alan. And Alan. Alan, thanks for joining always. us. Thank you. I think yeah, we'll probably see uh, Alan again in first. Like, right? Six so. months. Uh, manic <laughs> compression, right? Is that the next one that Alan will be? Yeah, Rev 25. Did I understand? I think I undersold Alan Cage. He's one of my favorite drummers. And I didn't give him the proper list of bands that he's been in that I love. When we started, I, ra- I, I rattled off Gavin's and then I, and then I lost my breath. So I just kind of okay. stopped talking. I mean, we've already talked to Alan and That's we're okay. going to talk to Alan again. I think we, we might only have one more chance on this podcast to talk to Gavin, right? And that's if he comes last on the last C. Great C episode. Yeah. So I think you're okay. Thank we you. all Thank you. we all understand, and I actually had to look up while before we we uh, got into the burn episode. We were talking to Alan about playing drums and some other bands, including Seaweed. Yes. And so I went on to Discogs to see what other stuff that Alan had played on, and I didn't recognize some of the bands. And you know, I hope someday we get to talk to him. And he said that he had worked with some singer songwriters, and so yeah. I wonder if. You know, sometimes maybe that stuff goes uncredited. And uh, well, I think he, I thought he was referring to Walter too, being mm. a singer, singer songwriter. No, no, no. Cloak Dagger be... played with New Idea Society, 
which is one of his bands. We played the Black Cat backstage with them. Uh huh. How was that? It was awesome. Yeah. Who awesome. else is in that band? I've never heard. I of don't it. know. I don't know who else is in there, but uh-huh. it's uh, our friend, Matt, our bass player Matt, made the flyer for the show. He did a great job with it. Uh-huh. It was a takeoff of the movie Thrashing. Uh huh. Nike came out with some Thrashing dunks, and he did mm. a pop art nice. reinterpretation of that. I do want to say, speaking of seaweed. We talked with Alan at the beginning about seaweed that uh, will go up as a having my say. So if you want to hear Alan talk about seaweed and their experience with, uh, you know, working with the Disney Corporation and then merge, mm-hmm. become a patron. Where yeah. it went podcast.com, sign up. Even the $3 patrons get access to. Yep. And, um, I Open also Discord too. Our yeah, Discord. Uh, Patreon, Discord. You can find all of that stuff on www.whereitwentpodcast.com. I know I always cr- try and cram that in when I'm giving the bit at bow to our top tier patrons at the end. Uh, the, if you listen, I'm like www.whereitwentpodcast.com, and, and so it's like, yes, we have a website. It does need to be updated a little bit. It looks uh, great though. It looks good. Shout out to Heather Van Hus for yes. taking time to bit do bow, that. Heather. Is bit of bow. Great. And she has to put up with you, so oh, bit of bow. God. And for she, that. It's funny because she doesn't listen to our podcast. Um, I don't blame but, her. I mean, you don't even listen to our podcast. But, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I have people every week that will be like, mention a quote from it, and I'll be like, what? Yeah. Like my friends will be like, yeah, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, you said it on the interview with – you know, Mark Ryan. I'd be like, I don't remember that at all. I don't listen back. We have a we have a patron and a dear friend of mine named Manohara, and he actually works with my oldest kid at a restaurant. And she said that sometimes he'll come up to her and be like, Hey, listen to this on the podcast. Your dad is talking about you. And he'll like play it for her and stuff. So it's funny because <laughs> my, my whole family knows what I'm doing in here. And my wife says that she can hear me laughing all the way across the, the house when I'm yeah. recording some of these episodes, but you know, uh, yeah, no then, one here, no one here listens. Jason, yeah. does Catherine listen to the podcast? No, dude. I, I, she listened to 30 minutes of the form of passion episode. I, said, <laughs> I listened to said, about the same. <laughs> she said, yeah, it was a lot of like, these songs are killer. And I don't know those songs. So I just stopped listening. <laughs> well, and it's it's a, cool. That's the most I've ever told about myself in one setting, but thanks for checking out. <laughs> I know, she made I, it that far. I, so thank you for I making that far. Listen, I actually listened to the whole thing, Jay. Uh, thank you for listening. So you're, you're the you're the anybody that excited. checked it out, thank you for listening to yes. as much of it as you did. did you I, listen, I enjoyed now, did you, did you listen to my spinning out? I'm putting Don't you on me. the spot. I'm put, Bugs Bunny meme me. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> but I promise you, I promise you I will listen to it tomorrow. We talk about I, the pod on there and stuff I've, too. I've listened to probably of a total of 45 minutes of podcasting in February, which is this month that we're in right now. Of, I listened to- ours. I listened, no, I listened, a total of other podcasts. Oh, now, dude, may, maybe like an, Maybe like an hour and a half because I listened to The Form of Passion. I listened to- Jack. I, I listened to Mojack and yeah. I listened to Nickel City soundtrack um, because I wanted to hear them talk to Scott Vogel, who is always an inter- entertaining interviewee. Yeah. And, um, but you know, we've been doing a lot of, I've been doing a lot of deep dives into listening to, you know, I listened to so much burn in preparation yes. for this episode. <laughs> I listened to all of the, 
there's like a 1990 rehearsal recording. There's the bootleg seven inch. There's the live at CBGB's. Uh, I listened to, you know, of course the like tracks on forever and rebuilding. And I just, I'm man, I'm burned out. Yo, is yeah. there somewhere, is there somewhere someone could access all of those MP3s? Like um, one, one, one board where they could access all those in a folder. Well, that if only you, that only select people pay to have access to, if you are a patron, okay. And you can have access to our discord in which okay. we have a download link channel. There you go. I have created a where it went media fire and have been uploading folders of live sets. Um, there's a live bird Those, set. Like, I've released stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of the stuff I did get from blogged and quartered, which is shut down. And I've heard that there's like, I don't know what, what do they call it? Shadow links or like okay. archived links. Yeah. But, but I have a lot of that stuff saved on my hard drive and um, Bugs Bunny meme, Lord, Lord, forgive me <laughs> for not, for not backing up my hard drive, but I'm going to need to do that soon. I bought a new like two terabyte ones so that I could start. That should be our new, our there. Patreon uh, shirt for this year. Bugs Lord, forgive me. Yeah. Lord, forgi- <laughs> Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I'm aware I would rock of my that. <laughs> Yeah. And I would wear that. I would gladly wear or that. Or the yeah. variation I also love where it's like, I wish all my, <laughs> I wish all my patrons <laughs> a very happy day. discord. Yes. There you go. <laughs> but yo, that live right at CBs, now. that burn live at CBs is so killer. Cause it's, it's so true. Good. They're on fire. They are on fire and they're yeah. dialed in. And it's awesome. I remember and, listening to those unreleased songs, just yeah. in awe, like the bait. Hearing uh-huh. that for the first time on that CD. And there's the Holy last shit. track that they play. What is it called? Like, We Can't Be Stopped. Yes. And it, I don't you think that's on me. You can't it's, stop it's me. On the, they did a seven inch on Bridge Nine and Oh, that's on there? Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Mount, the Mountain Seven Inch. Is that what it no, is? No, that's a different no, no, one. It's a different oh, one. Lord, forgive me. I don't know every <laughs> burn song. Um, yeah, no, um, I also I wanted to give, I forgot one more podcast. Wow. Uh, Something to do. Yeah. Um, we, had, yes. we, we, to, uh, to timestamp it, today we dropped a big episode for both Jude and myself, Husker Du Flip Your Wig, which is like a Desert Island album for me. It's my favorite okay. Husker Du. Um, and we did that and it was really fun. So check out Something to Do, subscribe. And uh, we're going to do Replacements Don't Tell a Soul next. Hey, can I put you on the spot? Yeah. Who do you like better? Replacements? I truly, I can't pick. That's but you have to. Thing. I well, honestly pick a puppy I, style. I, I'm, I can't because honestly, each of them have things that I that some they have things that overlap about both. Yeah, but they also have things that I can only get from one or the other. Um, I think that Husker Du was a better like punk band, like a better okay hardcore band you know zen arcade and you know all that thrashier stuff but i think the replacements were an incredible rock band and they were a great punk band i mean yeah. the first replacements well, record's great i'll say there's that minnesota hardcore documentary that was on what pbs yes we mentioned that on yeah. the uh, um on the pod actually. okay well the replacements weren't in there and i just thought well hey. it's not that surprising they're not in there okay sorry who we just lost Javier? <laughs> we <Yeah>. did. <laughs> Who? 
I've been listening. If I'm not listening to rev bands, I'm listening to uh, please to meet me. So that's why, that's why I want to. Yeah. I mean, that's my, I'm mostly just listening to (laughs) stuff for the podcasts and I'm happy about it because I, uh, uh, you know, it's all stuff I love, but yeah. So a bit of both of my, myself. Lord forgive me. I like only listen to arcade fire and glass jaw and like, black metal when i'm not doing this i listen sure. to a fuckload of watain <clears throat> and immortal and uh actually oh i would like to plug my own shit also on this uh this week Do we it. have on contraband coming out a live cassette from friends of the pod rotten hell uh uk okay. har- uk hardcore's finest uh it's a casingle which i fucking love doing casingles Five live tracks recorded at the Temple of Boom, which is a venue in Leeds, um, which has had some, of course, hard times because of COVID lockdowns and might not make it. So we released this cassette as a fundraiser. I donated some money to the Temple of Boom and it's a limited single. We only made a hundred of them and I'm going to make some shirts. So uh, contrabandgoods.com. But as we and, were fond of saying, the time to buy it is when you see it because this stuff, I'm not a fan of remaking stuff or repressing or reprinting stuff. I'm not a it, fan of people that remake stuff. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, get I it? get it. You get it sometimes, or you do it in a different color way. You get it yeah. in a different color way. And then uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of scarcity. And, yeah, and I bought this shirt in this year at this event. Just do this support, and then it disappears. I say I'm that, but like I also want with, them to remake the burn shirts. That's from the last episode. I thought, man, I really do want that burn long I'm only though. like that with the shirts I already own, where I'm like, yeah. too bad, you slept on it. But yes, then exactly. But then also, well, that brings up a, uh, the thing of reprinting classic stuff, because the three of us wouldn't have been able to buy a burn long sleeve in 1990. Yeah, so, I'm for it in a limited run. I think it yes. should be a limited run because then they're not sitting around forever. Right, right. The people that want them, they Yo, get them. Pre-orders. Time to buy it is when you see it right. or and when I, you pre-order it. I'm a huge fan of pre-orders. This is it. One-time press. We're only making as many as are ordered, and then that's fucking it. We're yeah, then if you wanted it, you could have got it. Yes. But, Hav, Yo. thank you so much for taking all of that time yeah. to pack up the Embrace shirt orders I did and everything, to ship them out. I did everything by hand. Anyone who's ordered an Embrace shirt, um, I tried to throw as many stickers. I tried to throw notes in there. Uh, I tried to say, you know, a few people, a few, I don't want to say celebrities because that's a weird thing to say, but people whose bands that I've listened to over the years have ordered shirts and I, I threw notes in there. Um, friends of the pod, people who support us, and then a lot of times I'll write out a post-it and I'll forget to put it in the fucking envelope. And yeah. so I'll just throw the post-it away. And I'm like, well, I meant to write them a nice note. And uh, Ray Harkins, if you're listening to this, you're one of those people. <laughs> I, I wrote you a very nice note saying thank you. Forgot to put it in. And so if you want it. It's, speak- it's a lot of work. It's a lot it's, of work. So, and so I just wanted to say thank you for doing it. And also, we at the beginning, at the top of the show, we were shouting out podcasts, bit of Boeing podcasts that we like and listen to. Thanks to everybody that has uh, given us some shine and let people know that where it wants out here and what we're doing. And if there's someone that you know that's interested in hearing about this stuff, send them a link. Yep. Why not? And then 
go it's free to go on apple and give a five-star review and write write something nice i wanted to say speaking of mailing things out before we stop yesterday and this was only six items between sending you guys uh you know stuff i mailed jason and hoff stuff that they you guys know about um but i sent out books um when we did the shelter episode javier and i mentioned you know that we're devotees and uh i had gotten some books so a few people reached out and i'm putting this out there in case anybody missed because i have more uh hit me up i sent to three three different people so you can send a, a message asking if you're one of the three but if not let me know and if you're in the u.s sorry it's got to be u.s uh i can send you stuff so uh thanks for patience i know the episode was from like two months ago i just wanted to make sure i had all my ducks in a row before i did send to three people um some nice i call them starter kits like a book with uh, there was like three or four small books in a bag with uh, Joppa beads. So awesome. that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, so right. what do we have, Greg, what do we have on the next episode? Next time we have Rev 23, the Ray and Porcel 7-inch. Mm. Fame backed with broken glass Mm -hmm. and we will have a special guest yes stay tuned yes uh we're not going to tell you who it is it could be could be ray could be porcel could be someone else you'll never know unless you tune in awesome so thanks for checking us out and we'll see you next time peace peace What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Ed Goodlife, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, John Cowell, Dollar Slice Bootlegs, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, O'Neill the Horse Fucker, Siren Records, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, and Mike the Mosher. Check us out on www.whereitwentpodcast.com and see how you can become a patron.